Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. And joining us now is our good friend, John Cofrancesco, the founder of AAIC, an innovative new company that uses AI to monitor cyber networks. And for astute listeners, he was a longtime member of the Fortress Information Security team uh, who would join us regularly with his threat updates uh, and whatever else was on his mind. John, thanks so very much for joining us. Welcome back on the program. Well, thank you so much for having me back. It's great to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell, Leonardo DRS, and HII sponsor our global coverage. Fortress Information Security, as I mentioned, not just sponsors our cyber report, but our, our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors. Uh, our air coverage and Leonardo DRS, HII, and GE Marine, a GE aerospace company, sponsored our coverage of the Surface Navy Association's recent annual uh, symposium. John, uh, thanks very much again uh, for joining us. A couple of weeks ago, we had Justin uh, Sherman, uh, founder of Global Cyber uh, Strategies, uh, a consultancy as well as with the Atlantic Council and a Wired Magazine contributor uh, on the show to discuss uh, the TikTok threat. And we did that sort of in advance of congressional hearings. Uh, Glenn Gerstel, uh, of CSIS, you know, wrote uh, in the New York Times that it's a little bit too late to be closing the barn door on TikTok uh, at this point, uh, right? And that banning it, uh, banning Americans from using it uh, is problematic. The U.S. government has banned um, the government workers from having TikTok on their government phones, uh, and yet some still have them on their on their private phones. First, you know, how do we need to be thinking about uh, the space, uh, the threat, uh, and what is it that jumped out at you in, in the course of the hearings uh, so far that, that you thought were people getting the debate right or not getting it right? Well, this is one of the cases where I think everybody's in broad agreement that something has to be done in the space. And I was very, very happy to see that. But I do think there are some real concerns about how we go approach banning things, how we approach adding cybersecurity that are as yet unresolved. And I think as we're talking about the article today in the New York Times and what some of the other folks have been writing about this, the first thing as it regards to TikTok, that particular application is pernicious in every way. It's absolutely taking data from you in, in way more aggressive ways than we would want any foreign government uh, to do or really any company necessary to do. And I think the big crux of the argument today comes down to this is do we stop TikTok, which probably isn't enough? Or do we write laws, do we put in place privacy protections that allow Americans to be free of all those type of concerns, not just from foreign companies, but also domestic ones? Many apps are locust-like uh, in cross-connecting your address book, right? I mean, you can't go on WhatsApp without compromising your address book or, or signal uh, for that matter, right? Otherwise, you just get a jumble of telephone numbers uh, and you don't know who's who. Um, what is it? particularly that TikTok is doing that makes it more locust-like, makes it more dangerous, more per pernicious, aside from the fact that it is a Chinese uh, social media app, of course. Yeah, well, there are two, there are two real things of concern. First, it's, it's correlating data, both about what you're saying and to whom you're saying it, and physically where you're located. So a lot of these applications have the ability to do one or other, right? So they theoretically could monitor your messages or they know physically where you're at. In this case, this does both and it extends to your network. So it is really easy. I mean, this follows along with what the Chinese communist government does to their own citizens. 
they want to know who the fomenters are of trouble. Well, it's one thing when they do that in their own country where it's unacceptable. They're now able to do that here in our country. Who is projecting what political views, why they're projecting those political views. And more than that, this is the second part of the concern. They're able to elevate or they're able to shadow ban uh, particular viewpoints. And, and if you actually compare what ByteDance has done here in the United States with what ByteDance does at home in China, very interesting difference because they, they really push narratives that espouse misinformation, push narratives that frankly just dumb, dumb people down. And domestically, you'll see that they push very pro-Chinese things, pro-Chinese government things. And of course, particularly for the youth, much more educational content. So a lot, uh, a lot of dances and silly, goofy things and, and, and things maybe that could hurt you. We saw the, the choking scheme that, that TikTok was pushing her, actually killed somebody a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and in China, educational Wait a minute, content. Ex- so- explain that because there are some people who are probably uh, <laughs> responding to that by going like, uh, did John just say a choking thing? Explain, please, so yeah, the that, audience that, that, knows what you're talking about. Yeah, that, so there was a, 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 if you're familiar with TikTok, you'll know that often viral dances or viral behaviors, they call them challenges, go around on TikTok. One of these challenges that was escalated by the, by the, the app itself was basically getting children to auto-asphyxiate themselves uh, and, and, you know, had, had a death, unfortunately, as a result of that. That is precisely the type of challenge that would never rise to the top of search in the Chinese version of the tool. Right. Um, but it is precisely what they're pushing here. Now, I'm not, I'm not proposing that the, the Communist Party is looking to choke children in the United States. Rather, I'm proposing that they advance narratives and they advance uh, sort of these distractions that are just harmful to kids. This one happened to be physically harmful, but but they're just harmful in general. They don't actually provide any value short of giving you the dopamine hit that we've now addicted so many children to. I do think it's interesting, though, uh, right, that if you're gathering data, you know, there, there could be a whole bunch of sociological data you can gather on something like that, right? Like the power of suggestion, uh, et, et cetera. I mean, right, the, the mind races on on how data like that could be could be parsed and possibly used. Let me, let me, so the administration has banned the use of TikTok uh, on any government device, which is very positive. At the same time, many of those same government workers likely have it uh, mm-hmm. on their private phones or, or might. The astute probably have gotten rid of it. If not, their kids probably clearly have it. And this is locust-like, right? So it will also install on your iPad, for example, right? So you might be somebody savvy enough where you've left your devices in another room to have a conversation, but the kid's iPad is sort of still sitting there and that iPad is listening to you, uh, right? Uh, and that microphone could, could be turned on. And again, if you have the right kind of data, you can really triangulate I don't need Vago. I don't need Chris, but I really need John because John is the assistant secretary for cyber in this in this agency, for example. Right. How do we need to think about the 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 tentacle like nature of technologies like this? I'm going to move you broader, you know, not just necessarily from a TikTok perspective. Right. Uh, but I mean, obviously, Pegasus was very effective software. Uh, it was hijacking companies that prided themselves on security. Even if you were Apple, uh, you had to open engineering cases and and sort of be surprised, like, why is the device doing that? It's not supposed to. But what are the next steps of this when it comes to government employees, their private lives, and the lives of their families, and how we need to think about this and the threat? Well, I think not, not just by this app, but apps like it, right, that are this potentially pernicious. Yeah, well, I think we should look at the 
the situation in a few different aspects. So as it relates to TikTok and the bans, I'm very grateful those bans were put in place, but, but let's be completely clear. Those were emotional bans. They didn't actually have any material effect on, on the United States security. The reality is, is that TikTok's already got all the data. Uh, so we really didn't do anything other than sort of make a show of it. As it relates to the situation more broadly, you know, folks really ought to think about just how dangerous uh, these technologies can be on a micro level. So if somebody had everything that you've done on all of your devices, so and those devices could include cars, they can include your phone, they can include medical devices now, if they had, they could include your refrigerator if you have a smart refrigerator. If they were able to look at all that data, just think about what they would know about you and think about how they could choose to manipulate you. And those manipulations could be very subtle, like changing what shows up in your, your search parameters, or those manipulations could be a lot more aggressive, like threatening to release your search history, threatening to release some of uh, the things you've been doing online. So a lot of opportunity both sort of implicitly and then explicitly to manipulate folks uh, through these technologies. But there's, but there's another concern in addition, and I actually think there's a way to look at this in sort of a more active role. If you're following the Ukraine-Russia conflict, as I'm sure all your listeners are, you'll know that what the Ukrainians have begun doing is targeting specific Russian soldiers and reaching out to their parents and saying, do you know what your son's up to? Now, in that case, I think it's a particularly, particularly valuable uh, particularly valuable use case. But, but if we think about that in reverse, it, it might be pretty scary. Could you imagine if uh, you know, you're, you're out on a carrier or you're, you're getting ready to face a battle somewhere and you begin receiving contacts from the foreign government saying, well, we know what your children are doing or we know where you live or right. we're going to reach out to your wife. I mean, when you, when you have that ability to reach out and to touch an individual or their family through these digital means, I mean, that, that really changes the game uh, in a way that we, we've never seen before. The administration's national cyber strategy uh, is on the verge of being uh, disclosed. A, a lot of goodness uh, in the administration and how it's sort of, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, shout out certainly to the Solarium, uh, Cyber Solarium uh, Commission uh, that really set in train some of the reforms that we've made. This administration has sort of grabbed the bull by the horns. Uh, a lot of optimism on what the new uh, cyber strategy uh, is going to say. Um, we've been waiting for it for a little while. Um, how how do we need to, th- before I get to the cyber strategy, right, how do we architecturally need to think about security, right, and data? This is as much about data as it is about behaviors. Um, people are still people. Uh, your digital exhaust is greater than ever. You, your digital exhaust is manipulable, right? Uh, so that which may, you know what I mean? I mean, it, all of it is manipulable, it, it, you know, uh, unless short of it being a government, um, right? Deep fakes and videos that are put together or, you know, right? Some of them demonstrably not true, even if some people believe them. How do we need to be thinking and architecturally thinking? And do you expect any of this kind of broader thinking to be reflected in the new national cyber strategy, I guess, is my question. Well, a lot of complex pieces there. So I, I think first, like you, I, I think Senator King, uh, Representative Gallagher, uh, and then Mark Montgomery, who, who all work together on the Cyber Solarium Commission, deserve real congratulations. They have moved a lot of this country forward. And that is a bipartisan group, as you'll note by the members I, represent, uh, I named there. They've moved us forward in cybersecurity in a lot of ways. And it's just 
it's almost shocking these days when when the government has a group that's working and, and this group has been working and making positive steps. More broadly, as we think about security, I think there's two hard divides here. The, the first one is to think about our structural security. So making sure the critical infrastructure, which we've talked about so many times, that those organizations are actually implementing security such that we can't have foreign national uh, attacks on our infrastructure that shut down our way of life. The second thing we need to be looking at along this divide, and this follows much more closely with the TikTok conversation, is extending our rights of privacy. As it turns out, the more privacy and the more control you give individuals over their data, the more secure that data ends up being. A great example of this, frankly, is the Europeans have led the way with the GDPR. So th those global data protection regulations have really enabled the European citizens to turn around to the likes of Facebook, the likes of Google, and to say, hey, we don't want you commingling data in certain ways. Hey, we want you to expunge uh, our data out of certain databases. And through doing that, they yield security. So it's very difficult to breach, very difficult to take advantage of data that you forced a company to delete. Uh, but so I think in the United States, that is probably the direction we ought to go. Uh, I will note that if we adopted that law specifically, it wouldn't have any meaningful additional costs on US companies as the big ones have already had to comply with Europe's regulations. Um, but that is gonna be a difficult, a difficult thing to do even with the parties working together. Because frankly, the companies that have collected the most data are by and large American. They're extraordinarily profitable companies. And we would be remiss if we didn't bring up how revolutionary those companies have been in terms of approving the life of the average American. I mean, even, even now as I'm, as I'm you know, thinking about travel, just how easily, is, how easily can I just Google something and know what the best hotel is or know how to get from point A to point B? I mean, those things just didn't exist. Uh, you know, just 20 years ago, and, and if you just look at it in a broader context, I mean, they would be almost magical to somebody from the 70s or even the 80s. So a balance needs to be struck. It's going to be a very difficult one to reach here because of how powerful and profitable those companies are. But if we want security, we're, we're going to have to do that. Let me just ask one uh, follow-up, right? I mean, when, when people uh, talk about concern over, um, um, you know, vulnerabilities, right? I mean, there are some folks who say, well, I don't have the TikTok app, but I, but I, but I watch TikTok videos, right? I mean, you can watch these on other platforms. You could watch them on a browser. Does that expose you to vulnerabilities or is the app installation the specific problem? I mean, they're kind of two separate issues. I mean, the app installation is the much bigger issue um, just in terms of what that steals and what it's able to triangulate. I will say that the Chinese government gets a lot of benefit out of uh, you watching the content because again, the content that they're pushing by and large is content that, that really isn't good for us, right? Those are the things that get amplified. That's not to say there isn't plenty of good stuff on TikTok. There is. That's not to say there's not uh, some quality content provided there. Of course there is. But the things that they're advancing tend to be from an ideological perspective or just a factual perspective, uh, not, not in our interests. Um, but, but overwhelmingly, the risk is really just in installing that app. And to be clear, TikTok isn't the only one. We have domestic apps that are every bit as pernicious. Um, they're just not related to the Chinese Communist Party. And, and walk us through what those apps are from your standpoint that are so problematic. I mean, I think the great example would be, would be Facebook. I mean, I don't need to go into every, every detail of uh, 
they're they're participating in certain behaviors that involve elections that were probably out of bounds on both sides for the record. Uh, and then we're seeing from the Twitter files some of the things that have gone on there. I mean, really extraordinary amounts of government uh, control over over public speech. Very conter- concerning stuff there. And so those applications, in fact, Elon Musk was quoted recently as saying that at some level, the Twitter algorithms encourage you to see content that uh, they know is going to make you angry. So that, that is just not a healthy situation. Uh, and, it, and it really does cause some, I think, the, the angst and strife that we have today is these tools that we've invented have added a lot of good, a lot of positive steps from these digital tools, but there's been some negatives. And I think because of the profitability and the, the success these things have brought, we've just been, as a country and as a culture, very slow to redress the, the concerns that they've created. What we have gone through as a nation is almost literally uh, out of a sci-fi movie, right? I mean, how many times have we seen, what do you think are the most salient elements that you hope are going to be in the national cyber strategy? And then I want to ask you, Sort of what would you know? You you've got a very good uh, John uh, without building you up unnecessarily. Uh, so of sort of looking ahead, and this is going to be the big issue six months from now. Um, what what do you hope is in the cyber strategy? I really hope, and it looks like it's going to be in there. Fingers crossed that we're going to have a policy that says meet fire with fire. That so it has been the case that our foreign adversaries and and their minions so organizations who operate for the benefit of, but are not necessarily part of uh, foreign adversaries are able to hack us more or less with impunity. It is my sincere hope. And again, it looks like it's going to be in there that we're going to be able to hack them back. We're going to be able to attack them vigorously uh, at an agency level. And, And if that happens, I think that'll be a great step because people become a lot more reserved about taking certain actions when they know those actions might happen back to them. Uh, that's so I'm very, very excited that that is likely to be in there. And I think in, in a way that is very passive for the average American, but very aggressive on the part of the government, if that does come to fruition and they activate that, uh, that strategy, I think we're all going to be much better off for it. Um, I, I think in terms of the you know, sort of predicting what's here in the near future, a lot of that is going to come down to politics that are, that are kinetic. If there is a big spring offensive with Russia, if we continue uh, the United States to and the West writ large continue to support the Ukrainians, as I think we should, uh, I think it's likely that we are going to see additional attacks. Frankly, we've already seen them. We've done a great job of stemming the worst of that. Obviously, some of those attacks have been kept quiet, but I think we'll see another big round of that. And we've seen other officials and governments basically allude that they're that they're aware that that is going to happen. I also think what we're likely to see, and this is just sort of uh, more broadly speaking, is that cyber attacks, particularly the for-profit cyber attacks, are going to start watering out into other parts of our society. I mean, we've seen some of these major organizations essentially say, hey, we've accidentally attacked a pediatric hospital. Sorry, didn't mean to do that. And actually give some money back, right? We've seen them attack some of the infrastructure and, and then come to regret that. I think what's likely to happen is we're going to see more attacks happen to different types of businesses. Uh, Commercial real estate businesses, I think, are very likely to get attacked. So the type of attacks that could be very profitable for the hacker, but not impact an innocent person per se, um, from the the perspective of the hacker. So I think that's, I I think that is really what's, what's coming out ahead the next six months to a year. And again, a lot of that's gonna be driven by the fact that you have a lot of these, uh, hackers from from 
the Russian part of the world who have now left Russia or are now in Russia and needing to find new ways to generate revenue for themselves. It looked like we were getting a handle on ransomware um, and there was a big focus on it. You joined us, whether it was about colonial pipeline uh, and, uh, you know, on food and are we making the kind of progress on ransomware that we need to be making? Or, you know, is it as Dmitry Alperovich thoughtfully points out and often points out, $20 million gets you a lot of, uh, you know, gets you a lot in Russia. Uh, and then you just hang out on the Black Sea Riviera, uh, you know, until until you hit your next mark. Uh, and, you know, the rest of it is, you know, un- unless you do a whole bunch of other things. You're, you're not going to stop it. Well, I'm just going to say if, if, if you could invest in hacking as a market, uh, you know, in an ethical way, you, you would choose to do that because it's still a growing space. <laughs> uh, the, re- the reality is, is that we now have entirely new parts of the world who are, who are finding new and innovative ways to, to attack the United States and other countries with ransomware. Uh, and that's because it's profitable, right? That's so people do things that are profitable. And so long as it remains profitable, I think that market's going to continue to grow. And, that, and that's part of what's leading me to predict that we're going to see more attacks on different types of institutions, different types of organizations than we have historically seen them. Um, don't be surprised. You know, here's a great example. Don't be surprised if in the near future you walk into an office building and the elevator's not working and the elevator doesn't work until somebody pays the ransom. Uh, those are the type of attacks that I think we are likely to see more of. Um, and, I, and I think we're gonna see it again in parts of organizations that are parts of our society that are much more sort of passive than a hospital or a bank. Those organizations have really started to shore up their security, which makes it more expensive uh, for the bad guys to attack and, and potentially less profitable. Entirely other parts of our society that have invested zero dollars or close to it who still have lots of money to give the, the ransomware guys. So uh, I think that that's in our near future here. Um, as you look on your co-Francesco six-month radar, right? Um, what, do, what do we need to be paying attention to that's going to be a big issue? Uh, you know, whether in the next three months, you know, whether in the next quarter, the next six months, the next year that we're not paying you, attention to. You know, I think that the reality is, is what we need to pay most attention to Everybody's already paying attention to it, and it is the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, and it is the likely conflict we're going to have with China over Taiwan. Uh, I think the spring offensive in Russia and the West's response to it is going to determine a lot in the cybersecurity world. It's going to de- determine so much in, in, in the free world. And the primary thing I think it's going to determine is whether or not we're going to have to have a bout with China over Taiwan. As it extends to the average person, this really comes down to uh, what goods are we going to be able to get and what goods are we not going to be able to get because these conflicts manifest. Hopefully they won't. But, uh, but we really need to have an eye to what the next round of supply chain limitations are going to be. I will say COVID may have been a blessing in this sense that some of the companies who produce the most important things have become wise to this and have already started to relocate their supply chain. So we sort of have a two-year advantage uh, to what we might have otherwise had. But but really, the, there isn't a sort of hidden focus. It's, it's in plain sight right now, what we need to be keeping an eye out for. Right. And uh, before we go, uh, John, if it's not interesting, you probably wouldn't be associated with it. Tell us what AAIC is and, and what you guys are trying to do that's different from what other guys are trying to do. Or do yeah, it. well, that's a, 
that's so the applied artificial intelligence company is is my my new startup and we are really looking to take on what is a, a known issue and, and this is really transitioning advanced technologies for the use in the dod and, and then the wider commercial markets so if you, if you follow this you'll know that uh, the United States spends roughly $170 billion on base research every year, and a lot less than 1% of that gets fielded into technology for our use. And, and there are a lot of reasons for that, but, but our hypothesis is that the principal concern is that the, the folks who are smart enough to invent the cool things aren't always as talented in conducting business. So we have found a handful of really advanced pieces of artificial intelligence uh, tools, and we're maturing those and now bringing them to market for, for principally cybersecurity reasons, particularly in the autonomous section. So this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, obviously want to make sure that, that we're, we're safe. I mean, our way of life is really important to me and being able to manifest those technologies that, that are state of the art more quickly into the market, as I think one of the best ways that we can be more secure as a country. So it's, it's where I'm putting my time and my money and, and, uh, knock on wood, we're going to have lots of success. Uh, well, uh, I wish you uh, nothing but luck. Fairwinds following seas uh, on the endeavor, uh, John, and look forward to having you on uh, regularly uh, to continue uh, the discussion. Thanks so very much. Uh, always a pleasure having you on the program. Cheers. Thank you so much for having me.